we um, have been on the verge of entering into Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, which is known as the Olivet Discourse. It's Holy Week. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. On Monday, he went into the temple and turned over the tables. Then, uh, on Tuesday, he, he lectured. They tried to trap him with questions, and he outsmarted them. And on uh, Wednesday, he blasts the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 for their legalism. And now... He leaves the temple area, crosses the uh, Kidron Valley, and goes up and sits on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples call his attention to the beautiful temple. And here's where we are. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age. Now, a lot of questions going on there. When will these things be? The destruction of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? All right, and as we go further on, we'll explain why those three questions um, are, are hard to, uh, to synthesize. Okay? But they're asking, what? The temple's going to be destroyed? That would be about as impossible as somebody on uh, September 10th, 2001, staring at New York City and somebody saying, you see those Twin Towers? Not one piece of steel will be left upon another. What? So he says the uh, temple will be destroyed. But tell us about your, uh, the, the sign of your coming, the close of the days. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, All these are, and here's the title of the message today, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. 
Okay? Now, last week, if you were here, we did a history of wrong predictions that have been made throughout the church age. People claiming that on such and such a date the Lord would return and uh, that date would come and go. And we, we started this series with a warning to be careful about date setters. Every generation has somebody who claims that this must be the end time. Now, I don't want to take away our enthusiasm for the Lord's return. I just want us to take verse 6 seriously. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Every new war, every new earthquake, um, don't jump automatically to the conclusion that this must be it. Now, having said that, though, here's what I want to ask today. Are these signs that we just read about, wars, rumors of war, famines, earthquakes, spread of the gospel, persecution, are these signs increasing in our day? Now, I need to give you a framework of what time period we're talking about here when Jesus talks about these signs. Okay? I believe the best way to understand the framework, the time of what Jesus is saying here, is that these signs will characterize the entire church age from his first coming to his second coming, but they will increase like birth pains increase before the Lord returns. Now, that's a rather controversial statement that these uh, signs characterize the entire church age because there are a variety of different beliefs about what Jesus is talking about. Um, Two interesting verses we need to synthesize. In Matthew 24, 34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, every time Jesus uses the phrase this generation in the rest of the gospel, it means the generation to which he is speaking. So, some people say all the signs that Jesus spoke of were already fulfilled by 70 A.D. By the way, 70 A.D. is when the Romans came in and destroyed the temple. Now, there are some interpreters called preterists. Preterists believe that Matthew 24, all of it has already been fulfilled. There were wars and rumors of war in the first century. There were earthquakes. There, uh, there was famine. And, and there was the destruction of the temple Matthew 24 is totally fulfilled. All you have to worry about next is the return of Jesus. Right? Now, um, some of you have never heard of that, and you go, that's crazy. Well, people as, uh, as profound as R.C. Sproul and Hank Hennegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, are preterists. They would, they would hold to that. Okay? Now, most of you, you get your eschatology from the Left Behind series rapture fiction, right? Um, you go, that's crazy! All these things are, are, uh, are yet to be fulfilled. Okay? And um, I would disagree with the preterists because of this verse. In Matthew 24, 30, it says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. 
Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I don't think that happened in 70 A.D. I don't think Jesus came from the clouds with all the angels and all the world saw him and mourned. Preterists say that did happen. You go, what? Well, it didn't happen visually. It happened um, when Jesus came in judgment on Jerusalem. I don't buy it. I think this is referring to his glorious second coming. But before you jump to the conclusion that everything, all these signs have not yet taken place, what about this verse that says this generation will not pass away? So I think the way you you make this all fit is you say that Jesus spoke of these signs that began in the first century and will continue till his second coming. Now, before you throw rocks at me and go, heretic! Because I tell you what, you mess with people's eschatology, you mess with their end-time views, and they will kill you. They will throw you under the bus, right? Um, you go, are you the only one who holds this? Let me give you a name here that, that justifies that I'm not quite a heretic, okay? His name is John MacArthur. So, in between the first and second coming, life on this planet will be marked by relentless trouble. The general period of time and the trouble that will be part of that period of time is described in verses 5 through 13. So MacArthur believes that the signs describe the entire church age. Okay? So some of you can rest easy. If he says it, then oh, it must be okay. Um, even better than that, is there somebody better than that? Yes. D.A. Carson, who has written the most definitive book, the most definitive commentary on Matthew's gospel, D.A. Carson says, although such things point to Jesus' return, they are characteristic of the entire period between his first and second comings. Every single one of these took place within the lifetime of the generation that first heard these words from Jesus, and they have continued in every subsequent generation. So don't get your theology from rapture fiction. Read actual theologians, okay? So um, I believe that these signs were present in the first century. They have characterized the entire uh, church history. I mean, haven't there been wars? Haven't there been earthquakes? Hasn't there been persecution? Hasn't the gospel spread? But I do believe that the reference to birth pains is an indication that they will increase as we get closer to the end. I learned a little bit about birth pains by my wife having babies. Um, I'll tell you about our, our Caitlin's birth, okay? Um, the first one, I, it was just a blur. I don't even remember it. But <laughs> I do remember one thing during the birth process. I was hungry. I was like, <laughs> when is the cafeteria going to open in this hospital? Like, how you doing, dear? Man, are there... And it wasn't... Oh, it was like a Sunday, so all they had was vending machines. So um, the second one comes along. She wakes me up at like 2 in the morning, right? So I'm like, all right, 
let's go. And she invited some people over to take care of the first one. And she goes, oh, let's take a picture. Like out to here. I was out to there too. Um, And we're posing for pictures. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to eat some toast because I don't want to be hungry. I was hungry last time. So I put some bread in the thing. And she walks by the toaster and goes, what? We don't have time for toast. And she popped the toast up and grabbed that toast. And like, what was that? She goes, that was a birth pain. (laughs) And I go, it's going to get worse, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. And as we got closer and closer, there were more and more birth pains. And that's kind of the picture. As we get closer to the return of the Lord, these things are going to increase. So here's the question. Are these things increasing? Okay. Um, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. So here's the list. False Christs. And I am going to talk about false Christs next week. So let's mark that off as next week. Wars and rumors of war, we'll talk about that. Famines, earthquakes, uh, Christians hated by all nations. Then false prophets, we'll talk about, we'll devote a whole thing to false prophets. Lawlessness, we'll talk about that separately. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. That's the real key to how you know how close we are. So let's just take a look at, first of all, wars and rumors of war. Now, there have always been wars. Right? In fact, in my office, I have a big poster of Braveheart. You know, that's back when like guys ran toward each other with spears and hammers and they beat each other to death. Okay? There's always been wars. But now we live in a time where you push a button and destroy entire cities. A day of nuclear war. What is the state of war today in the world? There's actually a website that uh, tells you what's going on war-wise. Now, here uh, is a picture of our side of the globe. Uh, There are really, on this side of the globe, only five, and these aren't even full-fledged wars, these are conflicts. Um, and the, the Mexican conflicts are mainly drug cartels that are fighting. Um, then down in South America, you've got uh, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Chile that are having conflicts. And you go, wow, that's not, that's not bad. Things are pretty peaceful over here. Let's turn the globe to the other side. There are 55 wars or conflicts going on on the other side of the globe involving 405 militias, guerrilla groups, or separatist groups. Okay, um, So you are on the right side of the earth, at least, Okay, but the other side is a massive amount of conflict. Now, let's add to this the nuclear bomb. Here is a map showing countries that possess nuclear warfare. We are the only one on this side that has nuclear capabilities. But over on the other side, we've got UK and France, Russia, China, India, Pakistan. Okay. Now, um, I don't know if you can see it, but these 
gold ones, these yellow ones, are those who are very close to getting nuclear weapons. North Korea claims they have one. We don't, I don't know that they know what they're doing over there, but we need to watch them. But do you notice right here this little dot called Israel? Um, that actually ought to be red. They have them. I know, okay? They do have nuclear bombs. And here is Iran. They are frantically trying to develop a nuclear bomb. And they have made no bones about it. Once they get it, they're going to try to nuke little Israel off the map here. Okay? They've, they've said so. Okay? Now, Israel then has to decide, do we do a preemptive strike upon Iran? Now, whether Iran attacks Israel or Israel, Israel preempts by attacking Iran... Either way, then all the Arab countries will unite with Iran and Russia will side with Iran. Now, depending on who's in office over here, we, in all probability, along with France and the UK, will side with Israel. It's a nuclear tinderbox ready to go off. Now you go, well, how close are we to this whole thing? Now, there's a fellow by the name of uh, Joel Rosenberg who, uh, uh, he's written a bunch of novels. In fact, some of his novels, he pre- in one of his novels, he predicted, uh, or he didn't predict, he, he, in his novel, he wrote about airplanes flying into buildings in the United States. He, he talked about 9-11 before it even happened. Is he a prophet? No, he just really watches world events. He is a Jewish Christian, and he has a website. And uh, here is this month, some of, he- some of the headlines from this month, July 17th. Putin orders Russia to conduct biggest war games since Soviet era. Russia's in the midst of its biggest war games since Soviet times with 160,000 troops 130 planes, 70 ships, and thousands of tanks and armored vehicles participating in the country's Far East, reports CNN. Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered the drills last Friday, and they began that night, according to reports from uh, the RIA, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so Russia's getting ready for something. Okay. Um, Now, you know, over in the Middle East, Syria is in the middle of just a ruthless Civil war. Here's a headline. Israel launched airstrikes on Syria arms depot from Turkish military base, claims media reports. Now, uh, Netanyahu did not. They said, did you do it? And he goes, might have done it, might have not done it. Okay. Um, But Israel does not want certain arms to get into the hands of uh, some of the... uh, some of the terrorist groups that are are racing to Syria, so they're carefully watching and taking out uh, certain groups over there, quietly. And then here's July 16th. Has the end game begun? Privately, senior Israeli officials now warning Iran war could come in 2013. Netanyahu preparing public. He says, if we're going to survive, we've got to do it. Right? So, um, all that to say, 
Are there wars and rumors of war? Are there big wars? Big rumors of war? Yes. Yes. Okay. What about famines? And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. The World Health Organization estimates, and this is real simple to remember, one-third of the world is well-fed, overfed. Okay. Another third of the world is underfed, and another third of the world is starving. Two billion well-fed, two billion hungry, two billion starving. Another way to look at it is this way. If you were to reduce the entire population, it's really, it used to be 6 billion, now it's close to 7 billion, uh, to, to two people, half of the world lives on $2 a day. Okay? Or another way to look at it, if you were to reduce the entire world to four people, one-fourth of the world lives on a dollar a day. Is there famine? Is there starvation? Not millions, billions. Another way to look at it, every 3.6 seconds someone dies of hunger on the planet. Is there famine? Is there starvation? Yes. Now, let's talk about earthquakes. This is very interesting. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, um, a lot of times when you read prophecy, prophecy experts, they will just say, oh, earthquakes are increasing. They aren't increasing. In fact, um, this is the Institute for Creation Research, ICR. Some of you subscribe to their material. They wrote an article called Earthquakes in the End Times, A Geological and Biblical Perspective. And here's the conclusion. A number of prophecy teachers say that a pronounced increase in frequency and intensity of earthquakes has occurred in the latter part of the 20th century, a worldwide trend fulfilling a prophecy made by Jesus. Contrary to these prophecy teachers, no obvious trend is found indicating an abnormal increase in the frequency of large earthquakes during the last half of the 20th century. Okay? Um, so there has not been an abnormal increase in the frequency of large earthquakes. Um, now, that means the frequency is pretty steady. But here's something that this does not factor in. Population explosion. Right? This is a, this is a, a graph of the population of the earth over several thousand years. And those listening on the internet, basically it's flatlined until the year 1804. And then in 1804, we reached the first billion. 123 years later, 1927, we doubled to 2 billion. 33 years later, in 1960, Three billion. So when I was born, 1962, yes, I'm 51, to save you the mental anguish. 
there were 3 billion people on the planet. Today, there are 7 billion people on the planet. Now, what do you do when the number of earthquakes stays the same, but you just add 4 billion more people? You get more devastation. Right? So, here's some interesting statistics. Remember the earthquake in Haiti just two years ago? The 2011 quake in Haiti was only 7.0 on the Richter scale, which is not that bad. But it was the most deadly earthquake in 500 years. The most devastating earthquake in 500 years hit two years ago. The 2005 quake in Pakistan was only 7.6, but killed 87,000 and left 4 million homeless. The 2008 earthquake in China was only 7.9 on the Richter scale, but killed 87,000 and left 5 million homeless. Do you remember the tsunami in the Indian Ocean? A tsunami is an earthquake at sea that creates a tidal wave The 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami killed, how many people do you think it killed? 230,000 people. A quarter of a million people were killed in a tsunami. Do you remember Japan? The 2011 Japanese tsunami killed 15,000 people. But, you know, Japan is this little island with a million buildings on it. That tsunami totally destroyed 129,000 buildings, half collapsed 254,000, and partially damaged 691,000. That's over a million buildings just wiped out by a wave. And if you've seen some of the the, uh, YouTube video, it's a sunny day, people are on the beach, and all of a sudden, whoa, a wave of water destroys them. It's terrifying. And Jesus says this in Luke's gospel. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Earthquakes, tsunamis. Next, persecution. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. The ESV says, I think the NIV says persecution. And put you to death. And you will be hated, now this is interesting, by all nations. We'll come back to that in a second. For my name's sake. And now because of the persecution, what's going to happen to the church? And many will fall away. In Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about a great apostasy, a great falling away due to the persecution. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Now, are Christians being persecuted? Well, once again, it depends what side of the planet you're on. This is a map from Open Doors. And uh, basically, the red countries are where Christians are being martyred and persecuted. Over on this side of the world, it's pretty easy. 
It's only Colombia, and a lot of that's drug traffickers who are, are just kidnapping Americans. Okay? But over here, China, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Northern Africa, Muslim countries, where Christians uh, are being killed, to gather on a Sunday, they risk their lives. We have to risk setting our alarm clock. Some of you need a better alarm clock. Uh, <laughs> we start at 10. Just a friendly reminder. That, and you go, oh, that hurts. I'm going elsewhere. If that's the, the worst persecution you get, you know. Um, basically, Open Doors says, of the 2 billion professed Christians on the planet, 1 billion of us live in paradise and the other billion live under persecution. Okay? But Jesus says, and you will be hated by all nations. It's going to get worse, folks. No, I am not a post-millennialist who believes Jesus will return to a Christianized world. I'm a pre-millennialist, and I believe that Jesus says, all nations, there's going to be persecution. How will the American church do when it gets tougher and tougher? when they arrest me because I preach that homosexuality is a sin. When I call you out if you are living with your boyfriend or girlfriend. When I talk about the reality that hell is real and Christ's atonement on the cross is the only way to be saved. When that becomes hate speech, How's the American church going to do? Well, when that starts to happen, that's when the false prophets will flourish. In fact, right now, let me ask you this. Maybe some of you are visiting from other churches. Is everybody happy at your church? I mean, is the goal, is the goal just keep them happy so we can grow? My analysis of the American church is that church growth has become the ultimate goal. Just like building your business and you set your goals, all the businessmen get together in the church and they say, let's come up with our projected goals. What are we going to do to meet our budget and to grow and to build the building? And the pastor falls in line and maybe he's faithful to the Bible, but sands off the edges so everybody's happy and they can go to brunch afterwards. That's the state we're in. Truth, but pleasant. Truth, so you can enjoy brunch afterwards. Where are the prophets? Where are the pastors? Where are the churches where people say, I can't go to brunch. I've realized my soul is damned to hell. 
I'm a sinner before a holy God and I don't think I'm right with Him. I can't go to Golden Corral. Where is that? Even the most orthodox churches today are so pleasant. And I believe the pews are filled with deceived people who think they're saved. Why? Because they're not a Muslim. They're not a Buddhist. And they were taught in Sunday school that Jesus died and rose from the dead. I believe that. But the gospel has never penetrated their soul. And they're not saved. So when the persecution comes, I'm not putting up with this. Or I'm going to go to the church where it's not so hard. Jesus said this, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Yeah, folks, it's time to encourage your friends who are in ear-tickling churches to go to a church that's going to preach the truth to prepare them for the end. And I appreciate all your business plans of how to grow the church. I'm more concerned with being faithful to the Scripture. And God will bring the growth. We need to prepare for Judgment Day and stand before God. And I want to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And I want you to hear, Well done, good and faithful church member who chose truth over fluff. One last thing, evangelism, worldwide evangelism. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, all these other signs, wars, rumors of war, earthquakes, they're all kind of relative. How do you know how many earthquakes there needs to be before the Lord returns? I I don't know. But here's one that can be somewhat quantified. When the gospel has penetrated the entire world, then the end will come. So, how close are we to the gospel having penetrated the entire world? Let me give you some facts. Today, portions or all of the Bible have been translated into over 24,000 languages and and dialects, covering over 90% of the world's population. And by the way, Jesus doesn't say that the Bible must be translated into every language before he comes. It just says it has to be proclaimed. Okay. Now, here's the problem. In celebrating the 90%, that can make us lazy and kick back and not worry about the other 10%. No, we still need to go die on the mission field and reach that last 10%. Let me give you another one. The Jesus film, Campus Crusade Jesus film, is available in languages known by over 90% of the world's population. It's the most viewed film in the world, the Jesus film. It's estimated that Christian radio 
Elizabeth Smith on the Chris Favory Show on WEMI. It's estimated that Christian radio broadcasts cover at least 91% of the world's population. And then, I mean, there's things that you can't measure. Like, have you heard of this thing called the Internet? You can actually go on your own little personal computer and the world of information is available. And people all over the world are being exposed to the gospel, either directly or accidentally. How close are we? Um, you may remember a couple years ago, there was a couple who came here on a Sunday morning. It was just an ordinary Sunday morning. And um, they had an accent. And uh, this was a young couple from Athens, Greece. He got saved. And here's how he got saved. In fact, I got an email one day. I, I used to be a pastor in a church up in Appleton, Wisconsin. And back then they had these things called cassette tapes. You may remember those, okay? Um, and they would record my sermons. And there was a family in the church, and their daughter married a Greek guy and moved to Greece. When they would visit, they would take a shoebox full of these cassette tapes and give them to their daughter. The daughter would then give them to the husband, and he would get together with a bunch of of Greeks from a Greek Orthodox church and argue over my theology. <laughs> and he goes, that's just the way they are. They, are, they don't just, they argue. And they loved it, right? I, especially when I would pronounce a Greek word. Well, in the Greek, and, and they, she told me that they laughed at my Greek pronunciation. And I said, well, I'm, I'm pronouncing it as first century Greek. And she goes, don't, don't, no, don't even, don't even try that. So, um, so these tapes got passed around kind of underground, and then they would send them to some other ground, underground church elsewhere. Yeah, was this a strategic reach the Greeks and reach the under? No, I just preached and somebody recorded it and it accidentally got in a shoebox over there. So one day I get an email from a Greek guy. He goes, just want to let you know I got saved listening to one of your tapes. Wow. One day, this guy shows up at, in this building, in this room right here. He had come to Georgia for pastor training. He's going to be a pastor now. Yeah, I'm training pastors over in Greece. <laughs> it's a really complicated strategic program that we've planned for now preach in some dinky little church in Appleton, Wisconsin, and God sees to it that just the faithful preaching of the gospel is used to save a guy in Greece, and then now he's training to be a pastor. And he goes, um, oh, we look at map, and uh, Georgia is a lot further away than we thought, because <laughs> they were just going to do a little road trip from Georgia to Chicago, and it was like, that's a long way. But they came, and he introduced himself, and I lost track of them. But um, how many millions of those little 
accidents of cassette tapes and DVDs and internet clicks is God using. Now, are, has the earth been penetrated? Obviously not yet, because Jesus has not come back yet. Should we keep trying? Should we keep getting the word out there? Yes. But we're a lot closer than, than most people would imagine. Now, last, last verse I want to touch on. I don't have it up here. But in Luke 21, 28... It says this. Now, some of you are terrified. You're going, there's tribulation and there's going to be a tsunami that's going to get us. Hey, you're in Chicago. Don't worry about the tsunamis. Um, Jesus says this. If you're believing in him, rather than looking at these signs and being terrified, you should have a big smile on your face. Luke 21, 28. Now, when all these things begin to take place, he says, Straighten up. I think the King James says, Look up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, whether you look at the end times from a terrified perspective or a happy perspective, it all depends on whether you're in Christ or not. If Christ is not your Savior, if He's not your solid rock, I would be terrified if I were you. If, on the other hand, you're trusting in Jesus, what does it mean to trust in Jesus? Here's what it means. You realize you're a sinner. He's holy, holy, holy. You are a man or a woman of unclean lips and mind and thought. You are a sinner. And on your own, apart from Christ, you'll be condemned to hell. But God in his love sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to fully pay the price for your sins. And to believe in him means you're not trusting in yourself anymore. You repent of your self-righteousness and you turn to him and you trust in him. He is your rock. He is your savior. That's what it means to trust in Christ. And when you're trusting in him, he comes back not to destroy you, but to redeem you. Have you trusted in Christ? Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Lord, as we look at the signs all around, we're tempted to be scared, but our redemption draws near. Lord, I pray for any who have not yet placed their trust in you, Pray that you would move them, move in their hearts. Wake us up. Draw us to the cross. May you be our only rock, not our self-righteousness, not our religiosity, but Christ and Christ alone. And then, Lord, as we get closer to the end, may we, Be part of the statistic that the gospel spreads to every every nation. May we be unashamed to spread the good news of the gospel. May you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.